The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. We welcome our online listeners to our podcast today. As you know, at least those of you who have been listening to our series on a regular basis, we have been doing a mini-series on universalism. This is universalism number five. If you're just joining our podcast... I would really encourage you to go back and dig up universalism number one and move from one forward because they are very progressive in thought and it's very important that we understand what we mean by the universalist church because through the generations universalism is now affecting almost every denomination in America every denomination in the world and there are certain decisions that are being made by Christian leaders daily all day long that is showing more and more support to this universalist religion it is not a movement alone it is a religion believing in nothing is a religion being an atheist is a religion Being agnostic is a religion. Can you imagine a religion that brings all of those together? And to have 500 people sitting in a room, some of them Satanist, some of them Muslim, some of them Christian, so to speak, some of them Mormon, so to speak, whatever, and all of them being comfortable with each other. Any group that is with another group and they're both comfortable with each other, you have to ask, what's the common denominator here? Who's at the top of your pile? Take me to your leader. But when you talk to some of their core leaders and they say, we don't have a leader. We don't need a leader like you Christians do. As was said to me this week, by a very influential person. And my response to that is, that is the greatest deception of your religion. Because when that leader does pop up and show his face, his face, it's a male face, that religion is going to be faced with either choosing to bow and worship that person, being, or resist. But what if the threat comes from that leader's mouth? If you resist, you'll be tortured and then killed and then burned. I can guarantee that the majority of the people within that religion are going to drop and say, you are God. Who are we talking about? Now, what's what's always humorous to me is that the common doctrines of Christianity are now labeled conspiratorial. That's just amazing to me. The most common doctrines that have gone from century, a hundred years, century to century, and that have worked, and that have preached well, and have, have produced 
thousands of conversions is now conspiracy. Oh, there's some kind of Satan pulling the strings in your world today? Yes. Oh, there's going to be a world governance like it says on our dollar bill? Yes. Oh, there's fraternities all over the world that are working the system for this? Yes. It's all conspiracy now. If you are an indwell believer by the Holy Spirit, you are of the greatest conspiracy of the 21st century. So that sets us up to talk about the one sin that has a consequence of absolutely no forgiveness. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Literally taking the Holy Spirit out of the formula of salvation, and I'm not sure where they put it. But now you got God and you have Jesus, who's a great prophet. He was a good guy. But see, when you take the Holy Spirit out of the formula, he becomes a great guy. He becomes a prophet and leader like Muhammad. And every other religion in the world. One of our greatest financial advisors and money managers and money controllers in the entire world is a part of a world religion that has a very, 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 very small membership. Do you know the more people you have in your room? To ask what color carpet we should change the carpet to in your church? The greater odds are of dividing that church right down the middle. So if I knew that worked, that if you put a decision before too many people, the people will divide themselves. To make the people free, to make them part of decision making, is literally going to divide that church or that nation. So if I knew that, I'm going to use that knowledge to divide people, to start civil wars, to start denominations, to start religious groups. So what if someone had this brilliant idea coming along and saying, I'm going to put all of these, these cult followers under one roof and have them be able to sit through a church service no matter what they believed. Satanists believes in worshiping Satan, and a Buddhist believes in, and then a Mormon believes in, and a Christian believes in, and you can bring your God into this building, and we're not going to offend your God. We just want you to be a part of our doctrinal decree of all religions. Go to one God. That's all you have to agree to. That movement, that religion, folks, is universalism. So are you a sinner or are you a saint? That immediately puts the question on the table of who owns you. America is not the only country that is so paranoid about ownership because ownership typically from the dictionary equals what? 
slavery. So if you live in an anti-slavery country, or maybe you're living in a country that is into slavery, and you as an indwelt Christian are forced into slavery, or some of you are sold off into a slavery market for God only knows what reasons, but there are certain countries that are hearing this message that know exactly what slavery feels like. You feel trapped 24 hours a day because you know you're owned by somebody else. And you're forced into supporting their goals and objectives. Now, if you live in a country where we are anti-slavery, you can take a few moments right now and chuckle or even laugh. Because there's no freedom in a country that is using the people like cattle and leading them to a slaughter. What slaughter? The slaughter of authentic Christianity. The freedom you give people says you have the right and privilege to give your opinion, but in reality, your opinion isn't going to change anything because the leadership has already made a decision. So you get the people just kind of everyone giving their opinion when you've already made the decision well in advance. And the reason why the skull and bones give you a watch that's pure gold plated set five minutes ahead once you get through all the initiation is to communicate we are ahead of the people. That's slavery. At its best. So many of the people who think they're free, they're not really free. They're being manipulated. Did God not warn us of that system in his holy word? You get up every day and you have your little devotional. And you get all excited about a piece of truth. And you think the enemy is intimidated by that? Not at all. You getting excited about a piece of truth isn't going to set you free. But you claiming that you are owned by somebody who is free, who truly does provide freedom, and that will give you victory all day long. That's why God said through the Holy Scriptures in the New Testament, you are no longer sinners, but you're saints. You're already whole. You're already pure. You're already redeemed. You're already free indeed. Don't beg for it. Ask it. Devotion it. You're free. It's done. It's over. It's a finished work. It's just that these ignorant people don't get it. Satan is saying they just don't get that this is my world. And God did give it to him. Permanently. You see, when he cracks open the globe and there's fire coming out from within, there's fire coming from the external, call them meteors or whatever you want, but it's pretty clear there's going to be fire from the sky. And he's going to take this burning ball and he's going to toss it into the outer darkness after he turns out all the stars that have names. That he named God. And he will turn him out. He turns the sun out. 
This is all, all the book of Revelation and in Ezekiel and in Daniel. And then he takes this bowl of fire that's got Satan on it in it. It's got his triune on it in it. The triune of Satan are the Antichrist, who's head of the governments, the false prophet, who is head of the religions, and Satan himself. Godhead, Jesus Christ figure, and Holy Spirit figure. It's a replica. He's going to take those and then the 90% of every person that was born on the face of the earth that decided not to believe in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father yet by him, all those who refuse to adopt that are just tossed out into the outer darkness to burn forever. You see, that is something that the enemy, I don't think he gets. That's his peace that he doesn't get. I don't think he thinks, I'm sure he can read. But why doesn't he get it? Same reason why you don't get pieces of truth. You haven't been enlightened by the Holy Spirit yet. But once you are enlightened by the Holy Spirit, you're now required to do something with that truth. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? We better take a look at that. Just to let our listeners know, I am a saint. I am an indwell believer. I have the Holy Spirit living inside my mortal body. I have the mind of Christ inside me, ready to speak, shout, proclaim the truth, which is Jesus Christ, who is a person, who is God. I've got more going on inside this mortal body than what is going on in the world today. And so do you if you're an indwelt believer. You have the entire God of the universe as a part of your tree. You being a branch on that tree gives you everything the tree is and has. And the sap within that tree that brings life up through those branches and then these cute little green leaves and then these pretty little flowers and then pretty soon fruit. That's the tree that you're a part of if you're an indwelt believer. There is no removing the Holy Spirit. True indwelt believers cannot commit the unpardonable sin contrary to some denominations. It's impossible. But those on the border of accepting a conversion to a brand new tree, those who don't want to be a part of this brand new tree, oh boy, that's a different discussion. Dwight Moody said this. This is a very powerful quote. Dwight Moody happened to be so incredibly supportive of, of family-integrated churches, it was ridiculous. There's tons that he said about it. I'm just giving you a little quote about what he believes about the holiness of children. I'm going to show you today how universalism is started through children. It's a ploy, it's a plot it's a plan by the enemy to separate the children 
from the authentic thinkers of parents. You see, your age, your gray hair grants you the privilege of wisdom to look at your child and say, that's evil and demonic. Don't think that. Versus being separated and having some Sunday school teacher that only God knows what's going on inside of his head and his life. Teaching your children stuff. And all of a sudden, one day you grow up and you have the adolescent, the rebellious years. Really? Where in the Bible does it say that? There's no such thing as teenagers. The Word says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I reasoned as a child. When I became a man or an adult, I put away childish things. There's no teenagers. That was invented by somebody. You go from childhood to adulthood. Malami has entered womanhood today. A young man going into bar mitzvah, he goes from childhood, mama's boy, to adulthood, daddy's boy. But when you get stuck in those phases or you detach from your parents, something very nasty is about to happen. Here's what what, uh, Dwight said. I believe that if an angel were to wing his way from the earth up to heaven, and were to say that there was one poor, raged child without father or mother, with no one to care for them and teach them the way of life. And if God were to ask... Who among them were willing to come down to this earth and live here for 50 years to lead that one to Jesus Christ? Every angel in heaven would volunteer to go. Even Gabriel, who stands in the presence of the Almighty, would say, Let me leave my high and lofty position and let me have the luxury of leading one soul to Jesus Christ. There is no greater honor to be the instrument of God's hands of leading one child out of the kingdom of Satan into the glorious light of heaven. For the beliefs of the child's parents is the child's doctrinal views of tomorrow. Okay, I want all of you adults to think. If you want to take a moment and meditate if you want to take a moment and have some devotions now's a good moment whatever stinky thinking is in your mind is what your child will become that's what Satan will draw upon to establish the doctrines of the church for tomorrow whatever righteous thoughts that you have in Christ Jesus is what your children could become. Your choice. Why do 90% of every child born and grows up to be an adult goes to hell and burns for eternity? Why? Because of the parents' stinky thinking. How in the world did we get in this mess? where children are acting like mini-gods, controlling their parents, 
It's what psychology calls a child-centered home. It's what I call a child who is God of their home. And the parents start obeying the child. This here, this funny-looking word, is the study of sin. Hamaratology. Did Jesus Christ ever miss his own mark? No, because the true definition of the study of sin is to miss the mark. And if Jesus would miss his own mark, that would put Jesus as one of the prophets in the world today. Do you ever miss the mark? I miss the mark every day. So therefore, if we have the gift of prophecy, we are just one of the prophets. Jesus isn't one of the prophets. He is the prophet who's flawless, who's perfect, who's blameless. Does this list sound familiar? Isn't that the list that was said about us? Identity really does matter. We need to take a look at the study of sin. So, hamartology comes from the Greek word hamartos, meaning sin. Hamartology, therefore, is the study of sin. From a biblical perspective, the study includes how sin was introduced into the world, how it impacts the world today, the solution to the sin problem of humanity, the judgment of sin, and the removal of sin at the end of time. In short, sin is defined as the missing the mark of God's righteousness. Through transgression, guilt and sin, of his laws of rebellion against his rule, whatever that rule may be. The Bible clearly states that all humans accept Jesus Christ as both human and divine. Everyone but him have sinned and fallen short of this mark, except the triune. And if any angel decides to step over this mark, they're gone. They're removed. Because sin can't be in heaven. So you see, when Jesus became sin on the cross, he became sin. It's an identity statement. He became sin on our behalf. He became this curse on our behalf. No wonder he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God cannot look upon sin. And Jesus knew it instantly that God had turned his face away from him because he became sin. He had to go through that process so God could look upon you and say you're holy, beloved, chosen, blameless, that whole list of identity. There's over a hundred of them. Theology of God's view of missing the mark is an important study. Now let's talk about the kids again. A child left to themselves to define the boundary lines of God will be an adult that will emerge out of the ashes of poor parenting only to tout their own morbid beliefs of the conception of sin, typically resulting in a universalist thought of sin is irrelevant. Do you remember in the book of Revelation where it says, there shall come a day when right is wrong and wrong is that's how this happens 
You see, sin will actually be looked at as a choice. To abort your baby, that's just women's choice. What about if we changed every banner, we changed every single ad on their own websites, on their own poster board that says, women's choice to sin. Because that, that is what they're communicating. Well, that's our choice. What if you just finish it correctly and say, it's our choice if we want to sin. Because see, what it would say is, yes, you can choose to sin. That would be the most truthful thing they could actually say. It's our choice to sin. So they had a problem on their hands. They had to get rid of the definition of sin. To get rid of the definition of sin, you can no longer have this defined definition that you're missing a mark because you'd have to ask who, who put the mark in place. And if you ask who put the mark in place, you've got to evaluate this God of the universe. You see, it messes everything up. Just this one tiny little word called sin messes the whole formula up for the Antichrist. You take this word out of Christendom and you have the emergent church. I spent a little time with Rob Bell this week. Online, of course. Next week, I'm going to reveal some of those interesting thoughts. There was no moving this man's mind on what sin was. Didn't exist. You define what sin is. And if you define what sin is, you're trying to define what hell is. And what loving God would send kind people to hell? Oh, I, I get why they think and choose and believe the way they do, but they do not understand the truth. So on the other hand, if we had children of biblical parents growing up, understanding all are born into this sin... They have a sin nature, and without a sin eater, they would go to hell for those sins. That would keep that young person on the edge. That someday I need to choose whom I'm going to serve. Jesus Christ or the Antichrist? Jesus Christ or the Antichrist? Jesus Christ or the Antichrist? You want to throw in another hundred or two hundred or a thousand liters in there? Go ahead and do what you want to do in that arena. It boils down to one thing, Mr. and Mrs. Universalist. You're either going to serve the Antichrist or Jesus Christ. Say it with me, Mr. Universalist. Antichrist, Jesus Christ. There is no third God. As soon as you get that, you're going to start reviewing your Antichrist theology a little bit differently. And you look at Jesus differently. So this whole universalistic idea didn't happen in your generation. Satan has had it as a part of his system for the 
final system for a very long time. When God created man with the freedom of choice, he knew ahead of time that this created humanity would reject the divine character he himself put in man. The fact that God created this formless planet, the fact that he knew that Satan was going to step across the line and say, I want to be God, I want your chair. The fact that God said, read my lips, it's not going to happen. And then in split seconds, he, he fell from heaven like a bolt of lightning. And then he fell somewhere, and where he fell was on this formless planet. We have no clue how long he was on this formless planet. Before God decided to take this formless planet that already was the home of Satan, he was bound to this earth. You think he's up on the moon? He could do some deceiving on the moon? That'd be wrong. He's bound to this earth. His demons are bound to this earth. And so he takes this formless planet and he breathes life into it. We have this beautiful, beautiful globe that many people worship today. Then he created man. And out of man he formed Eve. And then he put these two significant trees in the garden which had parameters. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden. But do not eat from this tree, which happened to be the throne, the sitting place of Satan. And of course, Eve was drawn over to that tree and she said, the fruit looks like it's good to eat to me. So she ate. And she was immediately separated from life and light, from the breath of God. When you're separated from the breath of God, that means you only have a short period of time to die. It's like reaching over and unplugging a breathing machine off of someone who's dependent on that machine. It may take an hour, it may take five hours or whatever, but the person's going to die. That's exactly what happened. When she put that seed into her tummy through that fruit, God reached over and he pulled the plug. And to live out a hundred years or two hundred years or five hundred years or whatever, it didn't matter. You're going to die. That's what happened. Now, every person who was born into the world because of that breathing machine being pulled was going to grow up and die. Grow up and die. Grow up and die. And it went on and on and on through millions and billions of people. They grow up and die. Well, aren't you, aren't you ever curious where they go after they die? They go to hell. Now, hell is not officially hell until God opens up the pit in the book of Revelation. It's called Hades, a place of torment. Unless they believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior or are able to fulfill the law. Two conditions that we have to talk about. God's love always involves foreknowledge. For him to have foreknowledge says that he's the one that put this whole thing together. The same love that demands a test. God tests whom he loves. Exodus 20.20 20, Being tested, expected outcome of the person who does the creating. You create something, you want to test it. That's exactly what he did. God tests whom he loves. So if the universalists are all about love, why don't they want to talk about the testing part? 
A spoiled child does not want to be tested in regard to the child saying, I love you, mommy. I love you, daddy. They don't want to be tested of that love. They just want to be believed. Really? Then how come you're constantly threatening to run away from us? How come you're constantly threatening us with your comments? That's love? Can you imagine me looking to God and, or Jesus Christ and saying some of the things that you said to your parents? Well, if you loved me, you'd let me have my own way. Yeah, if I really loved you, I'd let you go to hell. That's more honest. Because that is exactly what God says. I love you endlessly, but you're going to have to come to my camp. I'm not coming to your camp. If you love me, you're going to have to come to my school. I'm not going to your school and getting your degrees on universalistic thought called philosophy. You're coming to my school. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's all about us choosing to join him. Always has been and always will be. That's called divine order. God is God. God creates Lucifer. Lucifer chooses to fall short of the mark, sin. God creates a formless planet. God puts Satan on this formless planet as punishment. God breathes life into the formless planet. God creates Adam. God creates many trees, but two significant ones of his divine testing. Tree of life, tree of knowledge. Tree of Jesus Christ, tree of Satan. God gives Adam and a wife and lastly gives him the ability to make a decision, just like he did with Lucifer. Lucifer was the divine name given to him by God. Lucifer means master of the light. The Luciferian society is the master of light on earth. Alum Anadi. This is not complicated stuff, folks. This is not conspiratorial. It's real life. Adam makes his choice and chooses to change fathers and switches over to the father of lies. Keep this in mind. Since nature derives from fatherhood, he adopted the nature of the evil one who committed the first sin. Adam became like his, his new father. That's how it works. So you fathers, you need to stop for a moment and have a little talk with God about what you believe. And if you have a rebellious daughter, a rebellious child, son, you need to ask yourself what rebellion is in you. Are you the spiritual leader of your home? Are you leading and guiding your children to the true light and life of Jesus Christ? Because if not, there's an angel of light waiting to receive headship and leadership for your child. We're drawn to light just like a plant is drawn to light. If the light is here, the flower will bend this way. Once the light's over here, the flower will bend this way. If there's no light for an extended period of time, that the face of that, that flower closes off and points toward hell. This is simple stuff, folks. And God literally created the entire world and how the flowers and trees and everything functions to show you the gospel. 
we are drawn to light. So someone came along and said, hmm, how could we create a light form, a secondary light form, like the moon taking light from the sun and casting it to the earth? I wonder if we could form a religion on moonology. They did. And it's how it all started with the Greeks, with the moon. Secondary light. Luciferian light is the light of the moon. It steals light from a primary source and casts light to the earth. Here's how universalists talk about sin. First point, universalists reject the study of sin. My goodness, you don't want to study about it because you actually might learn something. You don't want to learn something because you might have a decision on your hands. So they have to ignore it. They think it to be necessary and pointless to do any kind of studying about sin. Since their beliefs are focused around universal salvation, everyone is saved upon the moment they take their first breath. Because all of humanity is saved, the talk of sin is absolutely pointless. Why talk about it? Well, I'm a homosexual. Can I attend your church? Well, of course you can. Who said homosexuality is a sin? Well, I have 17 wives. So? New laws are being formed right now. As I get more information, and I'm going to give that information to you. But I did some serious reading on this whole marriage decision of, uh, of homosexual marriages and found out something very interesting happened within the Mormon church. They're lobbying right now, and I've already put a bill together that they want presented that is going to say, well, what about us having as many wives as we want? at whatever age we choose. Well, now the pedophile laws have to change. Do you realize what's going to have to change when they do get this accomplished? One day, these politicians are going to wake up and go, you know, we got to quit making stupid laws about sin. What's already happened to the church is going to happen to government. Are you with me? That's 602-292- 2982, because I've got some proof in the pudding to show you politicians exactly what you're working on, and that is to completely remove the laws of marriage, period. Because there's too many issues and groups of people that are going to demand their rights now. Since universalism demands that God bow to their interpretations of him, They not only avoid the talk of sin, but have replaced the consciousness, really, of sin with the rosy optimism of universal perfection of man. See, Satan, he's interested in putting oil on the slide to have more ignorant people who are extremely intelligent go where he's going. Keep in mind here, folks, that Satan's greatest fear is fear of being alone. That's every leader's greatest fear. Whether you're a father or a president or a king, it's being alone. 
Even though, yes, Satan's going to get the lion's share of every human that's ever been born, but he's not going to have the privilege and prerogative of going into the same room with them. Because they're going to be so focused on the fact that they're burning and they can't react. And they got these vicious spirit beings taking chunks out of them that never get taken out of them. Gnashing of teeth. Oh, they'll be so focused on their self-life for eternity, they won't even think about granting Satan a thank you for bringing us here with you. You universalists that are bright and intelligent, you are the most stupid people on the face of the earth. As I have been stupid to believe things that Jesus Christ doesn't believe. Because that's what stupidity is according to many references that are used in the Bible of the stupid shepherds. It's knowing the truth and not able to walk out the truth. That's stupidity. Well, I can't walk out the truth without the life of Jesus Christ. And that's why I can say I have been there too and probably will be there again. Stupidity has got eternal results. It happens every day. It's going to happen to some of your children. And you're going to wake up one day and, and ask yourself, what did we do wrong? How could our child be a Hitler? How could our child be a universal preacher? How could our child be a God-hater? How could our child be an atheist? How can our child be whatever? If you think you have ten children and all of them are going to turn out choosing the tree of life, you haven't done your homework. And that should sober you up as a parent. I mean, after all, how many people were on the face of the earth when God came to Noah and said, uh, I'm going to let it rain. Keep in mind, they have never in 900 and some years I've seen a drop of rain. No, there was no rain before the flood. The world was in a canopy. A greenhouse. It had a perfect system of taking care of itself. So when God decided to pull that canopy open and expose itself to the outer elements you get the mixture of temperatures. And that's when you hear thunder. <laughs> and that's when you get tornadoes. And all of you science people understand how all that works. But if you're not exposed to the outer elements, you're not going to have that. That's what parents do to their kids. They expose them to external elements that is literally going to create a storm in their life. Go ahead, let your kids watch those R-rated movies. Go on. Educate your children and let them see the sin world. That's smart. So they can make the proper choice. What, to go to hell? Because hell will always win if you set the child in front of sin. But to keep the child within the canopy... Train up a child in the way that they should go. When they get old, finish it. They'll never depart from it. Is he lying to us? 
No, he's not. Protecting and sheltering your children is a good idea. See, that is what we need to be presenting and growing up our children is the real core of what's going on so that when they hear the truth, they know it's the truth. And when they hear of something going on in a world system or whatever the case may be, they go, well, that's not right. That's just not right. Quit giving your children degrees on demonic doctrines. It's pointless. You think it's saving them? I don't think so. Oneness universalism identifies sin as an illusion. Only when observed by those with a false sin consciousness who do not see all things in universal oneness with God. That's us. We do not view God that way so we can view sin the way God says sin is. But a oneness universalist, they can't do that. Anytime they hear a strong preacher nowadays, they have to label them. So when I work with someone who is in my arena studying the same kinds of things, and I say things that appear to be very radical, they'll go, yeah, I know, I discovered that too. Or could you tell me a little more about that? Versus, well, that's crazy. And then 25 years later, crazy becomes reality. Have you Christians not noticed this? Every 25 years, if you look in church history, you're going to find what some of these early preachers were saying is going to happen. And people looked at him, I included, would say, this guy's crazy. And we're living it today. The same thing's happening with euthanasia right now. It's too much for you to think about. To realize that life is blown by you so fast that you're not going to get it for 25 years. 25 years it's going to take you to embrace it in a sermon, for example, today. That's your average American. It takes you 25 years to go, man, that sermon that I heard preached back when blah, blah, blah. Boy, I can really see it today. Why are we creatures of seeing is believing? Your faith is dead. But it just so happens, folks, it's all written down. It's all there. It's up to you. Choose this day whom you will serve. So the bottom line is they cannot believe in God who would sentence man to death and send them to hell for sin. God does not punitively send man to hell for their sin, for he is not willing that any man should perish. But he respects man's freedom of choice to the extent that he will allow the man the results of the consequences of his choices. Colossians 3.25 After you preach the truth, you can say to your child, it's your choice. But to say it's your choice and then try to convince your child of the truth, that's a fool's way of parenting. It's a fool's way of parenting to send your child off to their room to think about, to think about what they did. No, sit down. I'm going to tell you what you did. And then I'm going to send you to your room to make a choice. Jesus Christ, Antichrist. Jesus Christ, Antichrist. Jesus Christ, Antichrist. It is that simple. There's no third element. 
And this child that's grown up thinking, I am the third element. It's my choice, my opinion. Really? How big do you think you are anyway? You're not even old enough to be a vapor. You're nothing outside of Jesus Christ. Paul said, Galatians 6, 3, he who thinks he's Something. when he's Nothing. deceives that's what Satan is working on with our babies. You think you're something? You think you're something in the world of sports? You think you're something in the world of sciences? You think you're something in the world of history? You think you're something in the world of, of whatever? That's normal parenting. Training your children up to be self-evident in a skill that can make them money. For why exactly? When I get to the age where I have regrets every day in my life and suffer depression, yeah. Because of all the years that I spent being educated or educating myself that he who thinks he's something is something and he who thinks he's nothing is a depressed person. That's called psychology. One, oh, one. God is trying to train us up in nobody is anything outside of Jesus Christ. Once you come into Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ comes into you, you become everything. In fact, God the Father will say you're holy, blameless, chosen, and the list is very long. But if you don't buy into that and make that exchange, you're going to quote that verse, he who thinks he's something is something, and you'll never deceive yourself. Don't self-reliant people kind of nauseate you a little bit? Because they're immovable. They're untrainable. They think that they got to figure it out. And what, they're 10? They're 20? They're 50? I've seen some of the brightest and most advanced educated people in history go to hell. Einstein was an absolutely brilliant man. He was gifted beyond any human they've ever known. Where was this man getting his foreknowledge? I think that's a good question. And why can he, he, he not sit down and have a discussion about the church? That's a good question. Darwin. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant man. Where was he getting his foreknowledge? Do you realize some of the things he was speaking of in his writings we're just now experiencing? What prophet was he listening to? Jesus Christ the Antichrist. Jesus Christ the Antichrist. Jesus Christ the Antichrist. Where do these people get their knowledge? Hitler. Do you realize the things he was shouting in his language? I discovered this past week are just happening today. He's dead. He put a gun to his head, pulled the trigger, and he died. He was a failure. He was a nothing. He was a nobody. And I say to that, really? Do you know how many Nazis are walking around you every day? The movement is alive, folks. Death only cements it. This is stuff we have to think about. To have a Christian young man grow up, as I heard a story recently, 
And to hear that young man who's not more than 13 years of age say they love Nazism? Who are your parents? What have they taught you? What have they let you read? What have they exposed you to? The exposing process of a parent destroys the mind of the child. This is 101 Christianity. Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he gets old, he will not part from it. The fact is, I can probably predict the next 30 years of that young man's life. And of course, that young man won't know that for 25 years. Why do these kids go through these dark phases? Well, I ask you parents, what in the world did you expose them to? Some universalist teachers have gone so far as to say that the reverse charges against God by engaging in the blasphemy of suggesting that if God fails to save all men universally, then God is a failure. Hopefully, you guys have kind of figured this process out. It puts the universal church as who's running the puppets. When you ask, what's the arm to that hand that they say, we're running God here? We'll tell God what he needs to believe. Which is what they're doing here. So when you ask them about, where's this all going? Who's running you? Oh, there's no one running us. We're not slaves. There's no human on this face of this earth that is not a slave. You're either a slave to Jesus Christ, the Antichrist. Jesus Christ, the Antichrist. Jesus Christ, the Antichrist. That's it. You just have to ask, which one? 602-292-2982. Please tell me which one you serve. Indwell Christianity is a frequent target of universalistic teaching, not only because it emphasizes free moral choices with consequences, but also because it allegedly creates an eternal bondage to the decision of those who do not support biblical views of sin and its consequences ultimately, which will be hell. Indwell Christian freedom is not to be found in moralism, or the lack of it, but results from the dynamic root of God's character in man's behavior, allowing man to be free, to be man as God intended man to be, to the glory of God. As Satan posed Jesus with the decision to serve him, God the more so gives man the decision to serve him. That is the evidence of true love. You choose this day whom you will serve. Antichrist, Jesus Christ. Antichrist, Jesus Christ. You choose. But I'd hate to have you find out 25 years later and die at the 10-year mark because of your stupidity of discovering you've been following the Antichrist. These universal ideas and thoughts that you've learned out of your schools and out of your books and out of your morbid thinking through these funny, funky-looking movies that are just filled with demonic activity. I believe the number one resources of teaching this to your children is through video games. Number one. Absolutely number one 
evil fighting evil. Well, who's controlling the stick? To a lot of parents, that is just, no. Well, you have black side of evil fighting white side. White side of evil fighting black side. Well, which one's good? Neither one of them are good. If you think about Satan's system in the world, he's using nice people, democratic nations, to fight monarchy nations and vice versa. Evil is evil, whether it's black or white. It's either Jesus Christ or the Antichrist. Although sin is not the focal point of indwelled Christian teaching, it must be addressed to understand God's redemptive action in Jesus Christ. The study of the origin and source of evil in reference to God's righteousness has always been problematic in the world today and has not been carefully clarified in indwelled Christian theology. This is no doubt attributed to the fact that sin and evil are irrational and illogical. Which Paul brings out here, he says in 2 Timothy 2.7, it says, For the mystery of lawlessness, and it is a mystery. Anything that's a mystery gives man permission to play with it. Unless the Holy Spirit is bringing truth and clarity to the mystery, it leaves man with the prerogative to analyze the mystery and come up with its own conclusion about lawlessness. So Paul said, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. If people think that because they're messing around with the mystery of lawlessness and figuring out themselves what he really meant by what he said, it'll be too late by the time that you catch it. You'll be taken out of the way. You won't hit your 25-year mark. Because you're, you're forgetting one simple thing. If you just say that I hate Jews alone, you have set yourself on the edge of God's teeth. Because he won't take that lightly. Hate is a very strong word. Hate says you are condemned and going to hell. And if God says he hates someone, they will not be redeemed. It's the unpardonable sin. So when we walk around and say, I hate you, Mommy. I hate you, Daddy. I hate those kinds of people. I hate. When you use the term hate, you have no clue what you're actually saying. Some people are a little more honest when they get upset and they say, in a discussion, they look at the person and they just say, well, go to hell. That's just more honest to me than the person to look at the person and say, I hate you. Get out of my life. I hate you. Then the person just saying, go to hell. Because that is what you're saying. When Jesus was preaching on that mount that day and he said, those who say, Raka, that is equivalent in today's terms of just go to hell. When Jesus said it, he says, those who say Raka are guilty enough to what? Go to hell and burn in eternity. It was a swear word. That was the worst thing you could say to someone. And the person who is saying it, Jesus is saying, you're guilty enough to go into the fiery furnace and burn. Children, do not say the word hate. 
ever unless you mean it. I hate sin. I hate Satan. I hate demons. I hate... Yeah, that's a great time to say it. Don't say, I hate you, Mommy. Don't say, I hate you, Daddy. Don't say, I hate your... You're grown up and you get married and you're upset at your spouse. Don't say, I hate you to them because you've got young listening ears listening that are going to turn around and say to you, I hate you, Mommy. Because to Jesus, that's like you saying, go to hell, Mommy. And then being taken out of the way? And we wonder why 90% of every created human birthed human ends up there? As parents. Well, we actually know the truth, but our emotions get in the way and we say things that just don't mean anything to us. We're just swearing. Whereas to God, he says, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of man is recorded in the, the book of life. Well, why is he writing it down? Why is he writing those things down when you say to your spouse, I hate you. I wish I would have never married you. Really? How would you like Christ to say to you, you know, I hate you. You haven't been walking after the Spirit for several years. No, I hate you. I wish you had never married me. Well, I mean, it would make a liar out of him because he made this powerful statement about I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, it erases the doctrines of the exchanged life to these little ears. Your little comments of being angry. What proceeds out of your mouth is what I'm listening to what's in your heart. That's where identity comes from. See, when you get upset and those blasphemy statements come out of your mouth, you better get on your knees and ask, God, what do I really believe? The command that's given to us is, do not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. So why those two swear words are the most popular swear words in over 300 languages? That might be evidence to what we're really struggling with. Here's our identity statement for today. The curious mystery of evil set up the illogic of the crucified Christ on the cross on Calvary to facilitate the mystery of godliness, whereby the indwelling Lord Jesus Christ lives his life and manifests his character or the character of God in the believer's behavior. So here's how it works. Christ comes into your life. It's a great mystery. Paul spoke of it. He's living in here now, so you literally have the mind of Christ. Behavior comes from the human mind. But I want to ask you a question. What happens to your brain when you die? When Leroy died the other day, did his brain go to heaven? So Leroy, who is now in heaven, does he have knowledge of being here on earth? He absolutely does. So that leaves us with a, a very mind-bending conclusion. What's in your brain is not what it's all about. But see, any thought you have that is Christ Jesus... 
Someone please tell me where Jesus Christ's brain is. His physical brain. He still has it. And he ascended. So to have the mind of Christ inside of us is coming from his mind, his brain, his redeemed body, his glorified body, his perfection. So any thought you have that is through the thought of Jesus Christ goes on with you for eternity. And if you think you're going to remember your sin when you get to heaven, you do not understand the physiological, the psychological, and the spiritual elements of redemption. I haven't really thought much about that. It might be time. Demonic, earthly thoughts are bound inside your human brain. And it will go to dust with all the rest of your demonic behavior. But anything eternal that comes from and through Jesus Christ, of the indwelling life of Christ, you better believe that's a mystery. So my Christ as life thoughts I have about you are going to go with me into eternity. You see? We're not going to be erased when we die. There's more to come. The soul and spirit go to heaven. There's more contained within that soul than we realize, not the brain. Then when we're given a brand new body on the other side, the body, soul, spirit come together as the perfect triune manifestation of the Trinity, created in the image of the us. Done, sealed, it's over. Sorry for those listeners who are supporting this whole Luciferian society on earth. I'm here to tell you, it will die with you and burn in hell with you. Unless you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it is not too late. If you've heard truth today and you received it, you are receiving the life of Christ. To pray a confession of I have been a sinner... And to pray that, Lord, I need you to come into my life. To appropriate the redemptive process of salvation, there's going to be a great exchange that happens. Your old demonic Luciferian beliefs are going to be put on the cross. Your new triune beliefs of Jesus Christ and him living inside you will become Yours for eternity. I'm seeing salvations as a result of these messages. There are some of you listening that are actually getting it. Because the Spirit is knocking at your door. But if the Spirit's not knocking at your door, you are free to hate me. At 602 292. 2982. Send me your hate comments. Because it needs to be discerned whether it's true hatred or confusion. Most people who are confused and they're not getting their own way typically say, I hate you. So when you are four years old saying to mommy, I hate you, or you're 40 years old saying to a person, I hate you, it has to be discerned. Is that person just saying it because I'm not getting my own way? Or do they truly hate? 
Because if you truly hate, there's someone else knocking at your door. Next week, here's what we are going to be talking about. Universalism Part 6, Doctrines of Jesus. My favorite. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.